Welcome to Points Taken, a podcast about sports and sports betting and the people that make them interesting. The possible resumption of major sports in North America is a giddy notion for sports fans, and for bettors, and for those who sell those bets. But it also matters to the fantasy industry, where the pent-up demand figures to be just as strong for the guy trying to beat his buddies in a season-long league, or cash in on daily fantasy. Today we'll ask Adam Wexler, CEO of the PrizePix DFS site, his prognosis for the planned return of baseball, hockey, and basketball this summer. We'll also learn if PrizePix has sports betting aspirations, just like DFS powerhouses, DraftKings, and FanDuel. First up, how DFS fared during the COVID-19 shutdown and where the industry goes from here. DFS uh, wasn't at as big of a disadvantage as sports betting operators were during this, uh, you know, during Q2. And that was mainly because, you know, we're as a lightly regulated uh, space compared compared to a tightly regulated space. We didn't have to go through extra approvals to get up and running with, you know, esports and, and and the like. Some of these more niche, you know, markets that we wouldn't have taken action on prior to the pandemic. Um, but to more specifically answer your question, I mean, like like everybody else, you know, we can't wait for everything to come back. Um, you know, if it all holds, we're 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 about to enter what what should be a peak sports calendar like we've never seen before. Um, so we're pretty excited about that, all, all that. But even ahead of that, you know, we, we truly believe that we've got the best uh, we've got the best product in the fantasy space, specifically for basketball. We don't think anybody else has has really, um, you know, anybody else has nailed a fantasy basketball product before until until prize picks came around. And uh, we're kind of getting that started ahead of time where, you know, the Chinese Basketball Association just recently came back. They've got a ton of ex NBA players. So we just put up, put that up within the last week. Uh, we're about to put up TBT, this, you know, 10, 11 day tournament uh, that'll precede, you know, NBA returning at the end of the month. So we're, we're not really waiting uh, until the core sports come back. We're, we're trying to make the best of what we can, what we can offer. Mm -hmm. What makes prize picks best specifically, as you said, for basketball? You know, compared to, you know, uh, some of the DFS predecessors, you know, namely, namely, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings and the salary cap format, you know by halftime whether or not you're in the money, whether or not you're really going to, you know, it's worth watching it till the very end. Um, with prize picks, if we get if we get the lines uh, right, if, if we know how to set the lines, which is, a, you know, a combination of everything from points, rebounds, assists, as well to things on the defensive side like steals and blocks, um, you're going to basically be, be in the game until the very last couple of minutes. So it's, it's very, you know, exciting throughout the game. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I think is the, the industry as a whole has been in dire need of because season long fantasy was never really embraced by uh, basketball fans. And, and, and nor do I think the DFS salary cap format, you know, had might mainstream, potential you know it, it's based around poker and poker's a fairly niche product to begin with um but but our game i, I like to describe our game as a bit of a, a skill-based roulette of sorts so what you get the sense that just just from anec besides anecdotally you get the sense that fans out there are are eager to get back on with this and you mentioned the fall and i've talked with other people if it actually happens you're looking at a fall where you're going to have a uh, you know, a Kentucky Derby, an Indianapolis 500, a Masters, the NFL should, would be starting, college would be starting, MLB would be figuring out, and all the other pro leagues, my goodness, would be the, the greatest fall in sports history if it actually happened. Do you get the sense there's uh, a lot of demand out there waiting to jump on your product? 
Absolutely, and I and I think you know take take many of the um, many of the most passionate fans that would otherwise be at the actual games are now going to be stuck at home, you know, just engaging on via the, via the internet and television. And uh, you know, what what better place for that for that money that would have been spent in arena on tickets and concessions and merch? It's now going to be you know stuck at home, and what better place for that money to go than towards you know these industries, you know, fantasy and betting, you know, and, and for all the markets in the country, which happens to be the majority of markets that can't do legal mobile sports betting, you know, we, we, we like to position ourselves as the next best thing. And uh, for that reason, you know, we think it can be, you know, a very big fall, like you said. That's a good point. I hadn't considered the factor. It wasn't forefront in, in mind that there's probably going to be, there's going to be a lot of sporting events where fans aren't going to be sitting there sweating and buying beer and watching it in person. They're going to be watching it on TV and, and the culture being what it is, they're going to have a phone in one hand and, and probably a tablet in the other hand. No, there's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, my favorite thing to point out that I don't think has been highlighted enough is that, you know, typically with a, with a normal, you know, calendar, you're, you're going to get two slates of games night you know you for nba and, and mlb it's basically the same you'll get your seven o'clock and your 10 o'clock games on, on a, just about a nightly basis and you know nowadays we're going to be getting you know five six seven slates on most days um which from a revenue generation standpoint from an operator standpoint is is a can, can actually make a pretty significant difference so in addition to all these sports colliding at once you're going to have games throughout the day and people are going to be working from home so you better get your setup ready, you know, to have your, you know, your laptop sitting in front of your, uh, your, your dual screen setup like I do at, at my home. Tell me, um, how has esports helped bridge the gap, and how do you think it will? Uh, what kind of space is it going to find once the uh, the core sports, as you describe them, come back and the average DFS guy or, or, or sports better, you know, on the other side of the of the aisle um, has the familiar stuff back. So you know, back in um, back in late March, April, when when obviously this stuff was unfolding, um, we we just we needed to buckle down. You know, uh, Prize Picks as a business, we were, we were all set to go out and, and raise money in the middle of March. So of course we've got impeccable timing, um, and you know, so so we were not in customer acquisition mode, and, and so even when we put up these esports, we we weren't so sure exactly how how people would take to them, but. You know, we like to think that our core demographic is the action seeker, and um, we, we I, th I think we were pretty we were pre pleasantly surprised at the adoption in terms of esports. You know, things that I learned along the way. You know, trying to turn tune into uh, League of Legends and and embrace that. You know, from a from a casual you know esports observer like myself, not not the easiest thing to do, but something like Counter Strike is a lot easier for you know the average Joe to embrace. Um, so. You know, League of Legends actually was our number one most popular market in the month of April. And then Counter-Strike uh, turned out to be our number one in May. And, uh, you know, just in the last couple of weeks is the first time they've really gone head to head um, in terms of their schedules. So we're, we're pretty eager to dissect that information and figure out which, which one of those or, or how the wallet share is going to work out. But then also to your point, when, when the other traditional sports come back around, you know, how, how are those people that migrated to those guys in the meantime, how are they going to, you know, transition back to uh you know their typical spend but you know all that's going to be very interesting to study in the coming weeks mm -hmm. it, it seems like i mean we hope that there's no covid 20 21 22 or, or 23 or any of the above but there might be and sports might shut down again it seems like 
uh, this has been um, an interesting exercise to find out if, if people want stuff like this. I think horse racing's had a boost too. Esports has had a boost. It's kind of interesting. You've got the, one of the, the least tech savvy sports horses running around a track. And then you've got esports, which is on the complete other side of the uh, spectrum benefiting from this. But it seems like this did prove that there's an appetite for esports. People did partake in it. There absolutely is. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, considering that the majority of the people that are taking to it are millennials, you know, I think it's only going to continue to grow uh, as the millennials get older and, you know, generations right behind them, you know, get get eligible um, themselves. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, esports was going to be a growth market and a growth opportunity for us, you know, that we were probably going to pursue again in 2021. And, you know, we got our feet wet with it uh, in 2019, our first professional league partnership was actually with one, a major esports league from around the world, um, and uh, but but we kind of set that aside, knowing that at the stage that we're at, it didn't really make sense to really uh, dive into it too too deeply. But then all of a sudden, uh, the pandemic strikes, and it's the best thing you know that we can turn our attention to. So uh, it definitely helped 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 us you know hold, hold the business over uh, as we awaited you know obviously some of these core revenue driving markets to come back. Now is, are you, are you guys in every state where DFS is legal? Um, I, I see your, your ads and stuff pop up on my Twitter feed a lot. Are, are you everywhere where, where you can be? Uh, no. So, so we, we would like to think, uh, I take it you're down in Florida. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we, we uh, consider the, the, we cover about 26 jurisdictions right now, uh, plus Canada, 26 jurisdictions that is in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, which covers more than 70% of the U.S. population. So for us, you know, we believe we're, we're at the forefront of a, you know, billion dollar plus category and, um, and it's a land grab, uh, you know, so unlike FanDuel and DraftKings who, you know, maxed out uh, their, their fantasy footprint across, I want to say it was 43, 44 states covering over 90% of the population. Uh, we'll get there one of these days, but uh, as it stands right now, we've got so much of the country to cover and introduce to what we what we describe as single player fantasy, um, that that you know we, we don't have a need to necessarily go uh, far beyond where where we're currently doing. You segued into a question I had further down on my list, so let's just let's attack that now. I mean, obviously uh, DraftKings, FanDuel are are the sort of the the big players in the room. Uh, they're they're sports betting uh, purveyors now. I'm not saying they're distracted, but they but they do both. But they're there. They're very powerful. What do you, as a competitor of theirs, if you consider yourself a competitor, what is your niche? How do you do something better that they don't? And how do you find uh, your spot and how your company fits in that puzzle? So, from a uh, target audience standpoint, I don't necessarily consider um, FanDuel DraftKings uh, fantasy product to be overly competitive with ours. I mean, we definitely some of our earliest adopters are those daily fantasy fanatics. But in terms of the, the target audience that we're, we're seeking, you know, it's, it's more so the, those people who are stuck, uh, you know, betting offshore right now. You know, they're obviously adopting it from an internet standpoint. They're, they, they're not those that are betting with bookies and stuff. Um, but for the markets that we're focused on, you know, the great majority of these are ones where you can't legally bet from the palm of your hand through a William Hill or a FanDuel, you know, sports book, drafting a sports book. So in that respect, in the markets that we're focused on, like a Florida, like a Georgia, where we're based, um, you know, we, we believe our closest competition to in fact be these illegal offshore websites. Really? Okay. So in the, in the long-term future of the company, I mean, do you eventually see yourselves as a, as a sports betting operator? Is that something you would like to get into? Or, I mean, is this phase one of X phases or where are you? 
I think there's there's absolutely a uh, a path that's that's been paved by you know FanDuel and DraftKings, and you see what they've done, you know, basically getting a foothold in all these markets through their fantasy product, and then eventually, when the time was right, they expanded into sports betting. You know, I think that's very compelling to us as well. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, like the, the category that we're creating or helping to pioneer in, um, in in fantasy is something that we we plan to stick with for for a good while, and, and we're. You know we're big fans of you know having maintaining a singular focus. So, but at the same time, we'll we'll be opportunistic. You know when it makes sense, especially some of the states that we placed heavy emphasis on. You know, like mm-hmm. our home of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go backwards a little bit. I was reading uh, your bio, sort of the bio of the company on the website, and and <laughs> it, it was it was a compelling yet somewhat sad uh, story. The uh, I guess it was the Dodger demo when you're up on stage and you know you you've got this moment and you're about to I guess pitch these potential customers that you've got this product that's great and then the ruling comes down in New York and it's suddenly like you're up on stage trying to sell ice cream to people and the New York Times says ice cream is awful don't buy ice cream T- tell us that story and the, the genesis of the company if you could going backwards or like ice cream is illegal right there you go yeah uh yeah no you know uh so, so prize picks is, is is our third product in the industry uh what got me into this space you know I'm a technology entrepreneur of 15 years but what got me into fantasy six years ago was um, I was a season long player. I knew that collecting money from the, com- uh, for the, com- the commissioner collecting money was one of the most painless jobs in the world. So we set out to make you know his or her life easier uh, through software. And, and eventually that digital treasure concept got expanded into facilitating side bets. And that's what uh, we won a, a number of awards for, for the product called Side Prize, uh, which we were also to your point, um, you know, selected for the Dodgers Accelerator Program. This was the famous fall of 2015 uh, when FanDuel and DraftKings had raised hundreds of millions of dollars, became some of the biggest advertisers in the world. And next thing you know, all the attorney generals uh, are coming after them. And uh, literally it was the day of my demo day uh, after you know, going through this program for three months. The day of my demo day is the same day that the New York attorney general, uh, Eric Schneiderman, came out and said, this is all legal gambling. Uh, and that happened a couple hours before I went on stage in front of a thousand, uh, you know, onlookers, you know, sports business professionals, investors, et cetera. And so needless to say, we were kind of stopped in our tracks from scaling the business at that point in time. It was going to be a terrible time to raise money. Um, and But in the grand scheme of things, you know, as painful as it was in the moment, you know, ultimately it led us to prize picks and, and, and side prize was a bit of a flawed product because it required a double-sided transaction. And prize picks, as we describe it, it's just you against the projections. And uh, we want you in and out of the app in less than 60 seconds. So we think we've created the most simplified version of daily fantasy. Uh, and we think it's the most mainstream accessible version of daily fantasy. How did you, not to harbor all that, that terrible moment, I'm just glad it didn't happen like 10 seconds before you went on stage, but how did, how did you pivot? How did I pivot on stage? Or how did, well, you said you knew before you went up. I mean, how did uh, your cue cards uh, change from what they were going to be to what they came out as? There's a good, uh, there's a good recording online of my, my presentation. You know, I, I knew I knew my pitch cold. It was a five-minute pitch, I believe, and and I I had a in a sense call an audible and and um, I had to drop a mention that you might have heard a thing or two about daily fantasy this fall or better yet this afternoon was kind of how I referenced. Uh, it, it became a national news story pretty quickly. So um, so yeah, of course I I couldn't not acknowledge it. Yeah, how do you think going forward, daily fantasy and uh, sports betting? coexist i mean it, i guess we're up to almost half of the states in the u.s are, are is legal for sports betting although it's not half of implemented that's 
you know, slow depending on the state. But I mean, does DS, DFS have a future other than creating younger customers that will go become sports bettors or creating DFS companies that will eventually become sports betting companies? Is it two separate things? Do they coexist? They, they, they absolutely do. Um, and I think it's a bit of a myth that um, most people's initial inclination is to believe that, uh, you know, there'll be a crazy amount of cannibalization. But, you know, I think, they, I think you got to be, you know, obviously specific. Season-long fantasy, it's a bit of a different breed. I don't really think they're going to be impacted all that much. Um, and then daily fantasy, let, let's, let's make sure, you know, we acknowledge that there's a lot of varieties in terms of what uh, potential formats for daily fantasy. Uh, and, and, I, and I specifically went out of my way to be, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of the directors for the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and I went out of my way to, uh, to become the co-chair of the research committee because I wanted to really understand these stats. And we, we, ran, we ran some studies on exactly that question, and, and um, the, the, the results came back and basically said it's, it's not going to cannibalize nearly to the degree that people suspect it would. And I think already you can see in, in certain in certain states, you know, uh, there's definitely data points that are out there that indicate just that. And, and in our own case, uh, a couple there's only a handful of states where we actually cross over. Uh, you know, Colorado is going to be one of those this fall. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very busy, very quickly. Um, and then Michigan and Illinois. Uh, other than that, I, I'm not I'm not sure that, that we intersect with mobile legal sports betting, which is the key. You know, brick and mortar actually does more good than bad for us because mm-hmm. it it just creates awareness in the market. And for anybody that's trying to have some action from the palm of their hand at home, you know, you, you obviously can't turn to sports betting if it's not mobile. Okay, give me your, your, your next year prediction. And, and I know COVID is just, it probably makes it impossible, but if you can, what, what do you think can be salvaged out of the next year, assuming that things get better and, and the next five, I mean, where does the industry go? Where do you, where does you, your company go in the next five? You know, we're here for the long haul. Um, you know, we we have big ambitions for you know building a, a significant category in fantasy sports that we think it can be uh, can see more adoption than the salary cap format. You know, obviously they got they got you know a billion dollars in funding to scale that category, but we don't think it was necessarily a part of uh, you know uh, typical user consumer behavior. Whereas we we believe. You know our prediction game, which is basically just our, our, our game was was originally intended for the season long fantasy player who's you know trying to make roster decisions on a weekly basis, and you study up on how your how your players are going to do or what players you should pick up, and you kind of get a sense through reading different articles, you know who's going to do well, who's not going to do so well. So that's where the over under prediction of, of their fantasy point projections kind of you know came from, and uh, you know we we think it's something that just fits very well alongside your season long experience, but then also, you know, the over under, you know, format is something that has been obviously popularized in, in sports betting context as well. So we think this category is definitely one that's very accessible. Uh, we, we did learn a thing or two uh, watching FanDuel or DraftKings scale through hundreds of millions in, in funding, and we don't necessarily want to go down that same exact path. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to sports betting, like, like you alluded to before, you know, I think there's a definitely an opportunity for us to build a brand in fantasy and have that extend into sports betting when the time is right. But, you know, for the time being, you know, we're definitely a, a, a fantasy uh, format that, you know, has a lot more upside. Do you think, and, and taking into account that uh, interesting stuff that you mentioned that you think could be on the horizon, do you think that there's a... Is there like a eureka moment in, in the future of this great new idea someone's going to have uh, for revolutionizing 
DFS or do you think it'll be little tweaks or, or maybe in the future sports betting offerings and DFS offerings are going to sort of meander toward each other in the middle? I mean, how, how are these two different animals going to look as we go ahead? So, you know, my, my big uh, discovery post the Dodgers accelerator was that there's nothing in these laws that are getting drawn up on a state by state you know, basis that has specified fantasy has to be a uh, peer to peer format. So once I once I determined that, and, and sure enough, there had been you know companies that had, had pursued DFS against the house before. We were not the first, nor will we be the last. But nobody had ever done so really at scale until Prize Picks and our our what most people would would evaluate to be our closest competition, you know, Monkey Knife Fight. The two of us are kind of scaling at a similar pace, um, and you know, it, th- this is th- there's a lot more innovation that can be had in the daily fantasy domain you know specifically monkey knife fight they offer five different games against the house in our case uh, we're, we're, we're all in on one particular format you know over under prediction so you know we, we totally think that five years from now there's going to be somebody who's going to do exactly what we do it's going to be the DraftKings star FanDuel, and i don't believe it's going to be monkey knife fight so in that respect i don't even consider them to be a direct competitor i just think they're our closest competitor uh, in the short term and uh, eventually, you know, I, I do think that there's this opportunity for, you know, there's going to be plenty of states, whether it's Texas or California, that are not going to be legalizing mobile sports betting anytime soon. So you need the next best thing. And, and that's, you know, what we really b- believe we can serve uh, in the majority of the country, that, that is especially the ones that don't have mobile sports betting. One of our broader ambitions, and this speaks to your question earlier, mm-hmm. is we want to build the most premium sports betting brand of the South sports betting brand, you know, encompasses fantasy and encompasses sports betting. It, it gives us optionality. The South is a huge focus of us and, and especially being a company based in Atlanta. So we're, we're definitely focusing uh, or placing heavier emphasis on states like Georgia and Florida as is. That was Adam Wexler. I'm Brant James, and this was Points Taken. Thank you for listening.